so is to the death more what you were waiting for? Yeah. Oh, think the shit's going down. Both of these, frankly, are very. I mean, this was an amazing week. I really liked both of these episodes. Yeah, and, I, I wouldn't really consider to the death being like a shit going down episode. I mean, it was kind of like it. I w- it's certainly not an episode that's a turning point. No, that's you know, it, this is not a big thing. You know, a big pivotal event in the history. That said, that they are working with Jemadar, that we get some more. A little bit more information about Jemadar. Frankly, they're they're one of the more mysterious, and the Vorta as well. It's, you know, two of the more mysterious and significant species that are in the Dominion and in the series. And so, there is a degree to which, at this point, any time spent with them is fascinating. Still, no, I agree with that, and I think you know, I don't think it will be surprising for for you to know this that. One of the stated goals and one of the reasons why they did this episode and wanted to do this episode yeah. was they wanted to give a little bit more information about the Jem'Hadar mm-hmm. because – and specifically information about the Jem'Hadar that are not sort of outside of, of Jem'Hadar society. Yeah. Because, you know, the, 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 the main Jem'Hadar episodes that we've seen before were things like Hippocratic Oath where they sort of were off the white and, they, you know, and they were outside of normal, you know, the Dominion kind of culture. And then, of course, an episode like um, The Abandoned with yes. the, the Jem'Hadar baby that Odo kind of tried to raise. And any others we've seen have been ones that are just in the middle of attacking. Exactly. Yeah. And so this episode was really designed to to showcase the Jem'Hadar kind of, I guess, uh, uh, if you could use this term, sort of normcore Jim Hadar. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Them in their downtime when they're not actively what they're doing in between big battles. And as and, it turns out, they don't have downtime. Well, yeah, in a way, but in a very interesting way. And frankly, the way that the one that's hanging out with Dax, for example, seems a very he doesn't seem like a one that's you know. A lot of the time people have been around Jem'Hadar, they felt very fucking nervous because what is this going to do? They, they, we, the Jem'Hadar have been shown almost as ticking time bombs of violence, even some of them now. Which I don't think this episode disproves. Not at all. At the same time, the one that's working with Dax and going to be you know, her battle companion or whatever, it's fairly clear that he's observing her and trying to bond with her in yeah. in, in, a, in a weird way and maybe they're not maybe Dax and he never completely see eye to eye but at the end of the episode but at the same time I think they learn to sort of respect each other's prowesses and, and abilities and again you know that that line when they're fighting she's like oh you know you'll live to be that older yeah like that that's a really nice moment where they've just kind of figured out how to work together and Frankly, that is something very Star Trek about this episode. The gem, you know, is is DS9 a Star Trek show or not? Well, yeah. You can even work with Jem Hadar if you want. You can even learn how to come to an understanding with a Jem Hadar. Yeah, well, to some degree, sure. But yeah. I think that also this episode goes a long way towards saying the Jem Hadar are not allies, nor probably will they of ever course. be. The the real kind of takeaway from this episode, I think, is that, yes, the Jem'Hadar can work with the Federation or work with Starfleet officers, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a very uneasy mm-hmm. truce. And, you know, the, the let's not forget, the episode ends with the Jem'Hadar basically saying, if I ever see you again, yes. I'm going to murder you to well, Cisco. That's one so, of the... Well, uh, 
the Jemadar are portrayed almost tragically throughout the, the series, and even as violent and horrifying, and you would never want to meet one, at the same time, they are a species who is utterly dominated by the Dominion, who has, who, who has been created for this one purpose, and is not a, are not able to determine a purpose beyond this, and, and the way this episode shows how they are trying to find meaning and dignity in their own existence, and that 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 goes towards I don't want to say humanizing the Jem'Hadar because that's not exactly the you know, the right S- word sentientizing them. Yeah, it, it it makes them a little more sympathetic though because they do you know they are oh sure they are bred to do what they feel is right and they. I mean, we see it's almost religious in this episode, the way that... Eh. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, you know, that's funny because there is an undercurrent to all of this, which which is tragic, as you said. Yeah. And I think we will talk about Wayun as well. Yeah. Because he's only, I think, what, the second or third Vorta we've ever seen. And we haven't seen a Vorta since The Search, way back from yeah. the start of the third season. So they've kind of, you know, they, they're back now, apparently. They're, they're yeah. still a thing. The show has not abandoned that concept. They're kind of the uh, 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 um, heralds of the Dominion. Yeah, the they're obviously... The- there to sort of keep the keep the Jem'Hadar in check. The founder, yeah, the found. As we're seeing, you know, the Dominion like to have species in different roles. Again, we've talked about how the Ferengi would probably, you know, if the Dominion takes over the Alpha Quadrant, the Ferengi will probably be administrating the business type affairs. Sure, you know, we've seen the uh, the one in the Pell episode. You know, there that's what they're doing in the gamma quadrant the Jem'Hadar are their foot soldiers and so the vorta seem to be their kind of administrators or the with the one you know they're one of the few who probably actually have direct contact they're with. they're kind of the bureaucrats yes and you know i i do think it's interesting that this episode kind of reveals or establishes that that the vorta are in charge of the the ketracel white as well mm-hmm. they have this sort of ritual surrounding it yeah you know they they obviously and... think that it's very important for the Jem'Hadar and the Vorta to almost carry this sort of religious significance. It is a very ritualized thing. Now, the interesting part, of course, yeah. is that Wayun is annoyed by it. Wayun yeah. is very dismissive of it. And he doesn't really seem to be taking it all that seriously. Now, it's whether con- that's Wayun specifically or whether that's because this is a kind of thing that's just rote and he doesn't really care because he's just being interrupted because he's trying to eat dinner, I, I don't know. Well, there but- is no significance for it for them. A- a- in the... I, well, I think we see two. So we see two very. Two, we see two bits of ritual. We see the uh, the the prayer, the invocation that they do when they unlock the way, and then we see before the uh, actual battle. He has that we are dead, and you know we right. we can only gain life from fighting. And obviously, the Jem'Hadar, this is their way of life. They don't have anything beyond battle in Ketracel White. They don't have family. They don't make love. They don't enjoy their victories. You know, this is all they do. And so, well, and let's be clear: the Jem'Hadar are slaves. Yes, and so, but the, the, the way that they are, they they have almost a have have the 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 essay, the myth of Sisyphus by Camus. So, um, oh, here we go. Okay, <laughs> um, it's so the the myth of Sisyphus is is, is that he was his torture, his Greek punishment in the afterlife. Is he is pushing a boulder up a hill and it rolls down and he has to do it again. He has this endless cycle of toil and the essay by Camus suggests that the only way that Sisyphus is able to attain dignity is by choosing his punishment, by enjoying and by savoring it and by making it his, 
in a way, what the Jem'Hadar are doing is that they are slaves, and yet they are finding meaning in their existence. They are finding, you know, Ketrasel White, you know, is there is part of the um, is one of the tools of how they are kept as slaves. And frankly, the come the, in a way, who Yoon has that conversation, you know. That the the Jem'Hadar of obeying the founders that's been a little exaggerated, overstated, and you know if that were really the case, we wouldn't even need the Ketracel White. Like that's a very telling conversation. And again, the battle, which is the only reason that the Jem'Hadar were brought into existence, they 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 make their and the speech that they had we are dead that's a statement of annihilation they feel that they are yeah a- and the only way that they have existence is by trying to choose and trying to find their meaning in this suffering cycle of violence and so it feels very again but for for the, for Wayun who is a Vorda, who is so much you know who has so much more to his existence He's very contemptuous of it. He's condescending. He's just trying to enjoy his meal. The Jem'Hadar don't understand what enjoying a meal means. Right. I mean, you there's, know, they yeah, probably well, don't even have taste buds. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we'll we'll learn more about the Vorta as the show goes on. Yeah. And this is not the last time we're going to see a Vorta. You know, I, I don't of think course. that's a, you know, a big revelation. I'm not really sort of spoiling no, anything no, 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 for no. you. But, but one of the things that always strikes me about this is the ways in which Weyun as a Vorta in the, in this episode, this this character that that let's not forget also gets killed at the end of the episode. Yeah, uh, he is he's almost like a I don't know he's he's a he's not very interested in what's going on. He doesn't really seem to he doesn't respect the Jem'Hadar at all. Obviously, no. he doesn't really seem to even want to be there. He seems like it's almost like this is kind of a job that's beneath him in some respects. Yeah, and. We get that we don't know that much about the Vorta. You know, we'll, we'll learn more about them again as as the show goes on. But you know, one of the things that always strikes me in this episode about Wayun specifically is that he seems to not really want to. This seems like a job that he's been assigned that he doesn't really want, and you can see that this might not be the plum assignment for a Vorta. I say maybe it's a slight punishment assignment, even. Yeah, like there, there's Vorta on a every gem hit our ship to give them the white and sort of yeah. keep them in check, but that's not something that the Vorta necessarily want to do. They may actually want to be on, you know, the, one of the Dominion, you know, core planets. <laughs> Put it this way, running he's being, things. He's being sent to work with some people from the Alpha Quadrant, which, frankly. Many of the Vorta are worried about are, are probably working on intelligence gathering assignments sure. or you know preparing for the sexy stuff. This is not a sexy assignment. But I also think that you know let's not forget that that you know the the, the founders the changelings themselves mm-hmm. are are in the Alpha Quadrant. You know they yeah. they do say from a few episodes ago that there are four of them. Yes. You know, um, I think is it on in the Alpha Quadrant or on Earth? I don't remember. Uh, they but, said four. Uh, yeah, on Earth. You know how many uh, uh, gem? Uh, how many founders are on Earth? Four. Yeah. Now yeah. we don't know if that's actually true or not. But, but again, I think we at that episode we had said it was such a low specific number. There's no reason for them to lie, and context. so we know that the founders are not above taking direct action to you know enhance their goals or to work towards their yeah. goals, and so. The Vorta, I think, almost seem like, and I think the Jem'Hadar to a certain degree as well. The Jem'Hadar have a very, very specific role in the Dominion. They know it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're slaves. I, the Jem'Hadar know that they're slaves. I don't. Their culture is very interesting, and also I, I want to talk about it. But also, the fact that they know that 
the Ketra cell white is the only thing that's keeping them in check. Mm-hmm. And that we see from Hippocratic Oath, for example, that some Jem'Hadar actually would like to be free of it and would like to go off yeah. and do their own thing. You know, that makes it kind of a, a, a more macabre statement as well, because it's it's not that the Jem'Hadar are happy being slaves. They're not brainwashed. Yeah. They're not in some sort of religious fervor. We don't even know to what degree the Jem'Hadar and the Vorda actually believe that the founders are gods. Mm. So... And it seems the show is starting to reveal more and more that that is very overblown. Yeah. Uh, frankly, this act, uh, of all things, this is reminding me of something that I read about North Korea. And, and you know, you, you, you will find stuff about, you know. Oh, yeah. North Korea is fascinating. I mean. The, <laughs> but, you know, well, well, like one of the things, you know, Kim Jong-il never pooped, you know, kind of thing. It's like every single person, you know, most people in North Korea know that's not bullshit. actually the case. yeah. But – at the same time, they're taking it as a you know metaphorical or you know which makes frankly me think about you know certain Bible stories for example uh, you know and how you know coming from a Catholic tradition you know you're allowed to take the Bible a little more allegorically and metaphorically you know it the, the literal uh, you know descriptions of things Jesus can do are irrelevant you know can, compared to you know their ways of symbolically so yeah they may not necessarily believe that the dominion are gods the founders are gods per se but at the same time they're the ones whose yoke everyone's under yeah i mean well, and I, and I, I, I i i will I, not be surprised if it turns out that the vorta have a similar you know kind of restraint on them that the gem hadar do or that the, the yeah. founders have some kind of a safety check on them oh absolutely yeah and i think that you know i don't want to i don't want to overstate the case that that you know the gem had on the Vorta don't believe that the founders are gods i, I yeah think they do i mean they they well they this have is, this some is sort a... of religious implications for them but at the same time it may not be as strong as we've been led to believe well put it this way this is um a science fiction scenario and star trek in general has dealt with the concept of gods and is frankly of the opinion you know that there is no difference between a god and 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 being so advanced beyond you and so whether or not they believe the founders are gods they certainly believe the founders are advanced beyond them sure yeah but i but i i you know i'm trying to not i mean they, but, but, they they think they're gods i mean yeah I, i'm not like the show is not going to come down on the side that the vord and the gem don't think the changelings are gods yeah. they still okay. do um it's just that it's not sort of this thing that's going to be controlling them mm. like perhaps they they like to sell the idea that it's controlling them and, and there are there is frankly the uh, reactions to god one can react to a god by love and by fear you know and still obey and worship yeah absolutely this is certain the if if the founders are gods they are fear gods but i yeah no i think so but also let's let's not i mean i think the other kind of interesting thing about the dominion and the founders being gods is also that i think deep space nine is obviously the the star trek series that is most directly mm. grappling with religion and spirituality because we have bejor with, with the prophets as well and so which are another set of beings that the show has kind of towed the line on are they you know what are they are they gods are they prophets are they just aliens that we can't comprehend right now to a degree with bejor so far it's not mattered the answer to that question because yeah. it, it at this point, you know, it is true that they have some kind of message and that they are outside time. But but it is kind of interesting that, and this was not something that was, you know, Odo as a changeling, Odo as a founder, 
I, I, I don't think that that was intended to be his character arc from the pilot. You know, I think that that was something that they hit upon later. Okay. And, but what that, what happens with that is we have two main characters on this show, one of which is a god or people see as a god, and one is a sort of like religious icon. Well, yeah, that's addressed in this episode. Odo is starting to realize that, you know, whether he wants to be a changeling or not, he is seen as a changeling and he does have a limited degree of authority over Jem Hadar. Just as Cisco realizes in that in a session that as the emissary he has some authority over Bajors that he's not necessarily comfortable. So yeah, mm-hmm. they are there's certainly very different shadings of this. I think that's but, a good point too. Both of them are not very comfortable. Yeah. Because, well Odo specifically has wanted to create his own life. He is wanting to you know, and frankly thinking of him of himself and having to live as a singular being has made him very uncomfortable with the idea of having to go along with something that he doesn't believe in. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, and I think also, you know, that scene between Wayun and Odo is very interesting because Wayun is almost like a like a used car salesman in that in that episode in that scene where he's trying to convince Odo to come back to, to yeah. the, the Great Link and you know the the change things really want him to come back. Oh, it sounds party. like someone you know, mom, come home, mom misses you, you know. Yeah, but he's not, you know, he's not doing a very good job of it, and you wonder if he's not doing a very good job of it because the founders don't want him to, or if he's just not very good at this. Do you know what I mean? I don't think. It's interesting that Wei Yun gets killed at the end of the episode because I was expecting him to start being a recurrer. Yeah. And so we're not going to learn as much about him. And I think that is part of the intended effect. I mean, I, I think we don't yeah. necessarily want the uh, Jemadar to shoot him at the end. But yeah, we never. He just seems like somebody who's just been doing this shit for too long and he doesn't care. I mean, he is. We've all worked jobs where we've stopped giving a shit, you know, and you're working a counter and you're just nasty to people because, mm-hmm. like, what the fuck ever? Like, this is wasting my time. I can't even fu- – that's why you in every single thing he is. He just – it's interesting how miserable he really is. Well, and I think also, you know, the, the other kind of half of that as well is, you know, it's revealed in this episode that the Jem'Hadar, you know, don't live very long. And, yes. And obviously they don't live very long, not because they're incapable of – Having yeah. a, a you know a quote unquote normal lifespan, but because they get killed, yeah, and I think they say thirty is like the revered twenty. Elder. Twenty is the revered elder, yeah, and and the other half of that, of course, is this is not revealed in the episode, and, and this may not even be true, but maybe the Vorta live a really long time, you know, could because they... it could just be that the Vorta get really bored because they're alive for so long in this in a in a kind of the flip side of the Gem Hadar because of course. <laughs> yeah, they, the Vorta being old, the Vorta living for a long time is a good thing because they get more and more experience. Yeah. Whereas the Gem Hadar dying early doesn't really matter because once you get to be a certain age anyway, you're not going to be as effective as a soldier. Yeah, and frankly, they just they're able to spot. It's it's a matter of weeks for them to be full grown, isn't it? And, yeah, and, and so I think if you remember from the abandon, it took like days. Yeah, and the part of the implication is that Jem Hadar are so cheap and easy to make that. Yeah, it doesn't really. Just don't tell them that. 
<laughs> you can just make more and more of them. And yeah. so, you, so yeah. yeah, Vorta, may, as you said, needs some more specialized skills. But then that almost reminds me of a teacher who's been teaching too long and has tenure and just dealing with these fucking brats all day long. I mean, how many fights must break out under Wei Yun's command to annoy him? Yeah, yeah. How many times, you know, anytime somebody, you know, one of the Jemadar kills another, even if it's justified, that's probably paperwork for him. You know? Yeah, that is that <laughs> is true. He, yeah, he, he's the he has to deal with these discipline problems. So yeah, he is just beyond giving a shit. And I mean, you know, to be very blunt about it, how does the Vorta keep control? I mean, it seems. I mean, the Jem'Hadar shoot Wayun at the end pretty yeah. easily, and I guess it's just a white thing. But then there's that whole ritual about it, and Wayun has to tell the box to prepare the vials, and he has to unlock it yeah. and things, and then like they just take it. So it's kind of like all right, how are they actually getting this stuff? Do they actually need the Vorta to do this? And is it just kind of more of a, it is, it's a cultural sort of respect? I don't know. Frankly, part of the, part of what it seemed like to me is that box, we don't know if it's, it's implied inside, it's synthesizing it. Let's say it's a machine that is making it. Yes. Yes. Uh, so there is obviously a lot of biometrics that only a Vorta can or a founder can actually turn the machine on. Uh, it, it let's say it's doing a DNA scan. So so if you know the Jem'Hadar could get you know a, a warehouse full of these things and they would be useless because they can't key it to open. And so frankly, that that would lead me to think that the way to free the Jem'Hadar would be to invent another one of these boxes. But they. Uh, It'll be probably pretty difficult. But then that's my it. point. They take it at the yeah. end. So how are they going to get what they need out of it? Uh, if they, oh, if they, they can't, do. if they can't open it, yeah, that's that's that's. So obviously, it. it's not as controlled as they think it is, or something. I yeah, don't know. I mean, I get the sense that the whole ritual was set up, frankly, to. It's very condescending that they set up the ritual because that doesn't seem like something that the Jem'Hadar sent set up. Even you know, it, it seems like. Well, no, of course. Not. Yeah, so it's like forcing kids to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Ma- yeah, making it seem like this very special thing, but really, it's the their the yoke of their chains. Well, let's talk about the the Jem'Hadar society because I do think that it's kind of interesting the way that it's set up in this episode, and yeah. specifically surrounding. I think. There, there's a certain degree to which I think Jem'Hadar society and Jem'Hadar culture in this episode, you know, we learn that they don't eat, they don't drink, you know, they don't have yeah. sex, they don't have women, um, which, you know, all makes sense because as we know, they're, yeah. they're kind of grown, they're not, you know, born. Um, and we don't even know actually if the Jem'Hadar were a species that the Dominion kind of did this to or if they're a created species, yeah. you know, we don't know. And so... I like to contrast, I mean, especially what I was thinking in this episode was kind of contrasting it with the Klingons, because yes. I think they're the closest analog we have to the Jem'Hadar. Worf, definitely, yeah. And for, I, w- the difference, of course, is that the Jem'Hadar are Klingons if the Klingons were enslaved. And, and ooh, I- you can really, like, yes, Klingon culture is kind of similar to Jem'Hadar culture in some respects, but... They also know that they are masters of their own destiny and there are pleasures to be had in the world. And so they don't worship death in the way yeah. that the Jem'Hadar do. Well, there's, see, For Jem'Hadar, death is a release. For the Klingons, death is the inevitable end, but it's not something to necessarily chase. Yeah. See, uh, it's interesting because you say, you know, the, the Jem'Hadar are what the Klingons would be if enslaved. And I honestly can't see the... Klingons being beaten down into this situation just because, I don't know, frankly thinking of 
But isn't that just um, sort of cultural superiority then? Because I think that no. if if the if the Dominion kidnapped some Klingons and decided that they wanted to get yeah. rid of the Gem Hadar and started growing Klingons and vats and addicting yeah, them to Ketra Cell weight, you know, well, would they still be Klingons at that point? Is the question? Well, I think that. Yeah, well, yeah, sure, That's, but I uh, well, I guess for me, what what see part of this is directly talked about by Worf and what with the scene when they're sitting down to eat and you know they're saying they have no women they don't you know and Worf is just doesn't understand that at all and he basically says you know the entire point of fighting is so that you can enjoy the fruits of your labor and yeah. frankly again we've seen Klingons get very decadent Klingons like feasting they like their rituals they like pageantry they're a very opera opera they're a very they're one of the most dramatic species that we see on this series. and They're Italians. They, they are Italians, yeah. Maybe that's why I like Klingon so much. Um, but yeah, so uh, um, battle, is an, battle is an emotion for the Klingons. I mean, we, we in the episode when Worf was on trial, you know, they were talking about Klingon bloodlust and all of that. You don't picture the Jem'Hadar as really having bloodlust, which doesn't make them any less violent or effective, or scary, but I can't picture, they don't really seem to take, like, the same visceral pleasure in it, that it's just what Well, they, they don't take pleasure in anything. Exactly. I, I, I think you could argue that that sort of has been genetically engineered. They're an anhedonic race, yeah. But at the same time, I think that if the Jem'Hadar were freed from Dominion control and went off and did their own thing, you know, perhaps eventually that would change. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Can the... Uh, there needs to be a way of – see, the Jem'Hadar – obviously, the Jem'Hadar cannot evolve as a species in the way they are. They've frankly been – their evolution has been stagnated. And yeah. it's it's – you know, this was something that we heard a little bit in the original series. I'm thinking about the Apple, for example, when uh, they have this society – now, the Apple society is about as different from the Jem'Hadar as you could get, frankly, but in, in both cases – they are. This is a species who has been. You would think so, but the seventh season of DS Nine reveals that the Jem'Hadar oh. were actually genetically engineered from the inhabitants of the Apple Planet. Okay, yum. Uh, Ketrosol White is just like you know apple juice. Yes. Um, but 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 Kirk makes the decision at the end. You know, I'm allowed to change this because this this planet has been stagnated. This is not a living culture. Jem and our culture is not a living culture either. This is something. Mm. Well, you know, I I, 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 I think that might be dismissive. I mean, was was sort of you know American slave culture not a living culture? No, and that 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 is a fair point. I mean, too. yes, it was certainly at terrible. At the same but... time, what you know, look at American slave culture. Could you say that you know they had no sense of passion or family or music or anything? You know, there there was certainly things be. It, it wasn't like I, I guess this is part of why I feel like you can't you couldn't turn you know the klingons would never be the Jem'Hadar even if enslaved uh, well i just mean in terms of of sort of their physical resiliency and their sort of you know love of battle and their sort of like well maybe not their love of battle but their their capability for mm. battle and that kind of thing you know i i don't because yeah if the dominion took over some klingons and made them into something else they would most yes. likely genetically engineer that out of them yes of course so we don't really know what the Jem'Hadar are capable of or like in yeah. a certain sense. Yeah. Again, if they were... 
And also, let's not well, forget that that you know it is a very real way to control them by saying, "Oh, if someone if a Jem'Hadar lives to be twenty, they're a revealed elder." Like that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, you know that guy was what two or something? Yeah, I, mean, I think he says he's eight, six or eight or something. No, like he was that. younger than that. It was oh. like three or something. I mean, he was really young. So you look at that and you say, "All right, like there is a real way that that's also yes." That's also really changing the the ways in which the Jem'Hadar are going to relate to each other and to the rest of the galaxy, perhaps. Yeah, for, let's say that left to their own devices, you know, just a Jem'Hadar just eating eating healthy and not fighting can live to – I mean a human is, what, 80, 90 years old? Let's say they have a similar lifespan to humans. Well, humans live to be like 140 well, in this the, universe. So. I, I, yeah, I'm thinking in, in, in real-world terms. Um, but the point is to, to – if 20 is the oldest, then 50 is like unfathomably ancient and almost kind of scary. I mean, if you think about, frankly, if there's a, if there was a human who said, I've, I'm 500 years old, even in the next, even in the Star Trek universe, that's going to sound weird. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess the, the last thing to talk about before we wrap this up is, uh, I mean, the Iconian gateways come back. It l- reminds me of the, uh, so I didn't remember that original episode, which so that was Contagion. That was a second season episode of T- of TNG, I believe. And uh, that was the episode where they come across this planet. The Romulans are there. And they kind of have to play this cat and mouse game with the Romulans. They find out that they're actually, um, this is the home world of the Iconian people. And they've got that gateway. And they're really worried about the Romulans getting control of it. Mm. Because the gateways um, can instantaneously yeah. transport you like thousands of light years. And they don't want the Romulans to get a hold of that, obviously. So that's basically that episode. And then they destroy it at the end. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's sort of explained. And it it was explained in the episode enough. I didn't remember the original ser- uh, the original episode in TNG, but at the same time, the episode was good at giving it enough context. And certainly, I felt like, oh, if I remembered that, that would have seemed really cool. <laughs> it reminded me of the Guardian of Forever, though. A little bit, yeah. In, in that, it's flashing these images, and one wonders if the. I mean, I, I'm. It doesn't sh- travel through time, but yeah. But I'm sure that there is a fan in or a theory out there that the Guardian of Forever is an, an Iconian device instead of space. It's. I mean, I'm sure that someone's come up with that. Yeah, probably. So it's a nice little callback, yeah. I think. And it's also, you know, it's it's nice that I think Deep Space Nine doesn't forget that kind of stuff. You know, it's 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 willing to pull out the deep cuts. <laughs> yeah. So I guess my question, one question, would be if that ever shows up again or this was just a one-off i don't think so so it's not like for example season five is how do we stop the dominion from getting all of these iconian devices we suddenly found no um okay we we did have a couple a mention of breen and that there have been a couple more popping up the only time we've actually seen them in is the one where they rescued decat's daughter um i frankly would not have noticed any of that or thought they were a one-off thing if you hadn't made a point of mentioning that and frankly i i'm noticing the seating i there i can definitely see they're setting up the breen so i'm going to be really excited to actually actually see them i don't know when they're going to finally become a player yeah 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 You'll find out. Yeah. Oh well. I mean, it's not like they're ever like a huge part. No, of the show no, or they're anything, they're not but... like the major villain. But at at the same time, you know, it it'll be cool to. I I know that they're going to be showing up, and you know, in a few episodes at least. So yeah, yeah. Even if they're Romulan level, as you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a good way to look at them. Actually. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about the quickening. Yeah. This was this was. Just... <laughs> 
this was the AIDS episode. This if, was the See, that's funny. Okay, so that was the intention that it was sort of taken out of the episode. Yeah. I never made that connection. It's interesting you bring that up. Obviously, it's many things. It's not just HIV and AIDS. At the same time, this did have a lot of resonances for and, and I mean, to be fair, as a gay man, I do when I think when I see a plague story, that is how I metaphor it into my mind. Sure. So, uh, because frankly, that's the plague that has had the most uh, um, personal re- resonance in my life. Um, and frankly, the way that the episode ends does remind there. It does seem almost prescient in the way that this seems to have a lot more to say about the state of HIV and AIDS in 2016 than it did in 1990 whatever. 1996? Uh, that would have... Uh, I think like 95? Either, either way. 20 no, it would have been 96. Yeah, 20 96. years. It, it, it seems to be the, the way that this is, you know, not... Cons- I don't know. Well, it's, they, it's, you know, it's weird because, again, I've never made that connection with this episode. Mm-hmm. I love this episode. I would actually put this in my top 10 for DS9. I I, I, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. And... It's such a good episode for Bashir. It's such a good episode for Dax. It's such a good episode for how it develops the Dominion and how it sort of reveals uh, exactly um, how fucked up they are and what they're capable of. But yeah, the, the, the AIDS allegory, the HIV allegory, that was something that was kind of intended to be part of this episode. And they apparently they just could not make that work. And so it was sort of taken out. It doesn't really make a ton of sense. I, I don't, really see it because you know everyone on the planet is born with this disease and the way that they cure it is not how they're going to cure hiv if they ever do so to me it's sort of like you know there's no um you know the 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 problem with the the sort of seeing it as an aids allegory is that especially at this point in 1996 this was starting to go away but 20 years later there's still a little bit of a stigma around it that if everyone was infected with this thing, there wasn't going to be a stigma. And so yes. it's not dealing with the stigma of HIV in any no, way. No. And, and, and so that's why I think it was a good idea to jettison that. No, I and maybe that's maybe that's what it is, because it's not about the stigma of HIV. There is no sense of, you know this is a mark of original sin as far as the Dominion is concerned, but we watching it and we the characters who we are following don't believe that and frankly think of this as a cruel act, um, a disproportionate retribution onto this uh, society. Um, at, yeah. At the same time, I, and I guess maybe what I was picking up on were some subtleties that you know were just left in there. Again, the way that there are lesions on the skin, for example, and you know I will say the the how. While it's not 100% a woman with HIV or AIDS will pass it on to the child, no, it's more about 25% chance of it. At the same time, preventing that transmission was seen as a very obvious goal of of, the anti-HIV movement. And at this point, we are frankly seeing vaccines of sorts uh, and medication is being very good as to – make transmission very low. So it's similar to the solution that they have at the end where it's a matter of time and we do need to mitigate this very well, but we don't have a cure for it, but we can 
do things to prevent or at least lessen the mm-hmm. degree of transmission. I, I guess that's why I say I see this as, you know, 2016 HIV to a degree. And of course, I'm saying 2016 HIV in a city in America. So yeah, you know. well, that's true too. <laughs> well, I think yeah. Leaving all that aside, because frankly, I mean, yes, you know, it's it not doesn't really do that any- important. Is, you know, not to dismiss your interest no. in this, but I mean, I'm interested in it too, no, but it's no, just no, kind of no. like, I don't see that reading of this it was episode one specifically. Of a, I mean, frankly, this episode uh, has as much to say about assisted suicide and, you know, euthanasia as it does, you know, and, and frankly, a little more about that. But that's not the point of the episode either, I would say. No, it's not. And I think that's one of the reasons why the episode is so strong, mm-hmm. because it's a very, very Deep Space Nine episode of Star Trek where you, yeah. could, you could have done this kind of story, I think, on TNG, and it would have worked fine. Uh, you know, of course, it's a little different because I think on, D- on TNG, Crusher would have found a cure for the disease. Yes. And you, you see the show playing with the expectations of what a Star Trek story is going to be because they go to the, they go to the, the Gamma Quadrant. They're kind of flying around again. And you're like, <laughs> really? Again? You're, you're, what are you doing here? And they even kind they of... They talk about Dominion space. Yeah, I think that's the first time they've actually mentioned Dominion space. When the, I mean, because the Dominion have basically told them to stay the fuck out of the entire Gamma yeah. Quadrant, which on one hand is really arrogant of them. On the other hand, maybe you just should do that. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, so they don't really have a good reason for being there either. So they come across this planet, and it's determined, you know, Bashir and Dax uh, beam down. And, of course, it's very convenient that Bashir and Dax are the two people that are on this mission with Kira. But, you know, because Bashir is a doctor and Dax is a scientist. And they discover that there's this whole planet that's infected with this disease that the Dominion basically um, used as a form of retribution or punishment for defying them. Yeah. And, and for, you know, where, where it's generations and generations. Yeah, it's like, like 200 is, years later. You know, not only – and it's it's interesting how cruel it is because the Dominion could have very easily sent, you know, swarmed the planet with Jem'Hadar and, you know, in an afternoon it would have been over. No, they are drawing out the this suffering. This is – obviously intended to be a living reminder yeah. of what it means to defy the dominion yeah because and i like the fact that the episode does a good job of world building it does a good job of it never really spells out exactly what happened to this planet you know they do say oh we used to have technology like yeah you, and now we live in a shithole and you know the implication yeah. well the implication being of course is that you know it it fundamentally changed their society and yeah. their culture because that's one of the other things about the disease that is so beyond the pale is its unpredictability. Yeah. And you don't know when you're going to die. What would that do to a culture? Yeah, you can see – number one, you can see that a lot of the scientists probably you know, die – many of the people who would be developing or building technology died from this disease. Any people who were left are obviously desperately – putting their energies towards, you know, I think it's even, I think that's too simplistic. I think it's even more insidious than that because what it does is you lose it very similarly to the Jem'Hadar. I think Mm. Uh, you lose any sort of hope or for building a future. Yeah. When you don't know when you're going to die, when you don't know when your loved ones are going to die, your friends and family are going to die. Maybe that is going to fundamentally change how you approach things. It's like, why should I try and, you know, have five years of crops put away? Why should I try and yeah. keep the power grid going? We're all just going to die anyway. We don't I know when I'm we're going to die. Yeah, I guess I'm seeing the first years of this where, you know, and then frankly, by the point when everybody realized it's hopeless, 
the infrastructure's crippled, and yeah, then you get that hopelessness. I actually think it's a little different than that. I, mm. I, I always get the impression that the infrastructure collapsed over, you know, decades. Yeah. Not in a few years, because it, it just, it would wear down. You yeah. know, at, yeah, certainly some people would die that knew how to operate this stuff, but at the same time, maybe they didn't. Yeah. And maybe they just didn't care. And I, that's what I like about yeah, it, is fair. that, you know, I'm not really interested in this from a perspective of, what exactly happened here no it's it's much more of a metaphorical thing for me the atmosphere and, of it yeah the kind of the feelings yeah. of again this is because a, i think you see that with um with the character of uh what a trevian right Where, yes you know he he's is, a fascinating character he's fascinating and he's lost all he never had hope you know the the existence of hope is it, it, hope is probably not even a concept to these people right yeah it, I find it, number one, it, you know, here we are talking about, you know, we talked about the Jemadar in 20 is revered elder status for those. So Trevian is, you know, now, frankly, they're not, 20 isn't as as old for these people as it is for the Jemadar, but. Yeah, it looks like. Trevian's in his 50s and he's much older than most other people. He just happens to be, you know, his hasn't gone off yet. And the only thing he can do to be give hope to people is by, you know, letting them die without pain in a, in a warm place and having with a full belly, you know, and that's the only thing that he can possibly do for these people. And it's interesting how he comes off as the antagonist in this episode through a lot of it. You know, he's the one who's, you know, say, you know, this, you're giving them false hope, you know, get, you know, get out of there. But the sec, I, I love that the second he realizes there is a, possibility for a future he immediately asks all right what do i do how do i how do i get this to the people you know i already have a network set up let's do this you know it's more than that yeah. he's, he's taking religious significance oh of, this. of he course says it would be an honor yeah I think he says or it mm. would something like that it not a sacrifice a great honor or yeah. something like that you know he's they're holding a child up i mean that's obviously the imagery and that is you know and also you know you you say trivian's the antagonist of the episode and he well, kind of is but I always sympathize with him. Of course. I, and I think the is, episode sympathizes him to some degree. There is no he, – he's an antagonist, but he's not a villain. He's yeah. an antagonist yeah. only because he doesn't have the optimism that Bashir has. And we understand – but we understand exactly why Bashir is able to look at this problem. Again, there's the – I actually think you know, in a, in a, in a, in a weird way – Bashir is not the antagonist of the episode, but he is a little bit on the other side more than he has been in the yeah. past. Because, you know, I kind of identify with Trevian and I kind of identify with, uh, you know, the other characters well, where they're saying, yeah, okay, we've had people come here before and tell us they have yeah. kids and they take our money and they take our food. And no, then, you it, don't. You know, and, and Bashir is, is weirdly dismissive of Trevian's assisted suicide he, hospital. Yeah. And it you I think what you see here in this episode is a rare case where Star Trek is letting a Starfleet officer be a little bit of a dick. Yeah. You know, well, he's he's not really trying to understand their culture. He's really horrified yeah. by the idea of assisted suicide, which is interesting. I I that I had some very, you know, so right now, I mean, you and I live in Oregon, which has had assisted suicide since, you know, at least I was in middle school. And people not. are dropping dead in the streets all the time. <laughs> but, you know, my neighbor a, killed himself yesterday. Well, good. For, uh, is his apartment uh, open? Yeah, but I you don't want to live up there. Why not? Because he killed himself in it. So it's probably very cheap rent. <laughs> um, but 
I and I mean I personally am very I I believe very much in the concept of hospice and palliative care and frankly assisted suicide if somebody has decided you know I I am I'm terminal I don't want to go through chemotherapy just medicate my pain and do not reset you know what it, it is the it is a person's own choice to make those decisions and um but at the, you know that Bashir doesn't even you know, finds it so absolutely horrifying. But but, but to Bashir, well, there are thing- very few conditions that he they can't you know they can't deal with. And well, so, and that's and that's the thing too. I mean, there's a difference between hospice and palliative care and and, and mm-hmm. assisted suicide as well. And you of know, course. to be clear, Bashir is not against palliative care. Bashir is not against you know getting rid of people's pain as they're dying yes. he's doing that himself yes, but yes, yes. he's a he's very much of the and he comes from a place of privilege mm-hmm. frankly where he is coming from a society he's coming from a culture where there's pretty much no disease that he yeah. doesn't feel can be conquered and why would you want to kill yourself when you have a disease because we can cure anything i mean yeah. this is a universe where people don't get a cold you know i mean well that's kind of been retconned out but yeah. they did say that or headaches or something you know like yeah people don't get headaches anymore yeah. it's like all right come on I, I i always bring that up but it's so ridiculous but anyway <laughs> but yeah i mean like they can cure cancer. They can bring people back from the dead. They record, they they fixed Worf's spinal injury, you know, eventually. Like there there are yeah, medical miracles happen on this. But and I think it's really interesting that Bashir basically starts to make that kind of an argument and Trevane says, Well, we had technology too, you know, you know, don't like Well, that's what is so yeah. I think so delicious about the episode, and one of the reasons I love it so much is that it really it, it, it kind of grapples with the idea that Bashir is a little bit arrogant and yeah. that Starfleet and the Federation is a little bit yeah. arrogant and they think that they can sweep in and fix everything. And that that's the thing about, I think, this episode in particular and Deep Space Nine in general is that this episode in the show never argue that it's a bad thing. They never argue that it's coming from a place of malice or bad no. intent or anything like that. You know, the Federation and Starfleet yeah. is very well-meaning, but sometimes what what I think this episode in particular makes clear is they don't really consider or think about how their attitude is coming across yeah. to the people that they're trying to help. Well, because, it comes yeah. across as very paternalistic, and Bashir comes in and is like, I'll fix this in a week. Well, you know, part part of it, is, he, he, not only that, he says, you know, we're going to, oh, what if we figure it out in an hour, he literally says to the end, you know, then it's just a matter of how long it takes for these chemicals to synthesize, and then we're done, Um, which, which... Not only is that arrogant towards you know this planet, it's also very arrogant towards the Dominion. I mean, yes. Let's let's put it this way: if the Dominion is going to, if the founders are going to decree that a planet needs to suffer for centuries of a sl- disease that's slowly killing off their hope, you know, to think that they're not going to figure out every possible you know permutation of, it's almost implied that this episode they find the vaccine by accident. You know, you almost get the sense that really no one ever thought to pump a pregnant woman full of a vaccine for this. You know, maybe they someone synthesized that exact chemical but just tried it on healthy bodies and, yeah, you know, yeah. non-pregnant bodies and it turned out that, you know, it's sheer coincidence that this actually happened to work. Again, remember the end of this episode ends with Bashir, you know, desperately trying and, and implying that this is what he's going to do every day till he finds an answer. Yeah. I mean... Well, I think that that's really... I mean, there's a couple... There's so many places yeah. I could take this, but I love this episode. But yes. I think that, 
number one, of course, you know, in that conversation where we sort of talked about their infrastructure crumbling, you know, we forget that Bashir realizes that it's sort of the EM fields from their instruments that are causing oh, yeah. that. To, so, you know, there is a reason why perhaps they shut down their electricity a oh, lot yeah, earlier than, you know, that. <laughs> Frankly, they, that these were not. Be... Yeah. I mean, the show, Trevian makes clear that these were not stupid people. This was a technologically advanced civilization that had I, space yeah. travel. So, yeah, I didn't you know, even think of that. I mean, that's frankly. And that's not necessarily an emergent behavior of the virus. I very much assume that's a feature the Dominion built in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just to. And I also think that that it is kind of instructive to think about Bashir as 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 arrogant. I mean, there yeah. there is you know I like I mean this episode is also a really good example of how Dax and Bashir's relationship has evolved yeah. because you know they work very well together. Dax is someone who has a better better bedside matter than Bashir. He's yeah. a, she's able to translate you know, and she is I think that she is the character that pushes Bashir to stay because. It's interesting. The episode ends with Bashir failing. Well, it doesn't end with Bashir failing. Yeah. It, 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 it seems to, but it's still got 10 minutes left. And so when Kira comes back and Bashir makes the decision to stay, you know, that's a very different sort of storytelling than Star Trek normally yes. does. Normally the episode would end with Bashir going off and, you know, and so we don't know how long he's there for. It seems like he's there for quite a while, at least, yeah. you know, a few weeks. And I think that Dax, Dax's statement to him is pushing him towards that where you know he's getting upset and he's saying oh you know it was arrogant of me to think that i could, could discover a cure for this in a yeah week. and she says it's even more arrogant to think that there is no cure just because you couldn't find <laughs> it and i think that's what really spurs him to decide to stay yeah i love that line this is a i mean it's 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 a harsh thing for her to say but it's true yeah um but that is but it is very Federation because the Federation, you know, in so many – I mean, but we've seen – I guess that's the thing. We've seen episodes where that's happened. There's been a plague or a problem. The Federation come up and they fix it. It's not necessarily uh, – you know, the Federation has the best of the best. You know, anytime we've seen Federation technology, it's ridiculously advanced. Um, yeah. I think about that, you know, the gun where – that uh, the scene where, you know – Kira's showing Talaziel how to use these weapons. And, you know, she has like, all right, this is a Cardassian weapon. You you point it and it fires, you know, but here's the Federation. And it it has 16 separate settings. And interestingly enough, there's a scene in To the Death that is very similar to that because they hand the the Jem'Hadar Federation phaser rifles and they're like, okay, turn off the safeties. Let's just make this as easy (laughs) to use as possible. We don't want to deal with this. And think about the scene where, uh, O'Brien is trying to shoot himself and we actually see the display of it going through all those 16 different settings towards the top. Like, yeah, but you know, it, it, it's funny because yeah, someone like Talaziel is never going to be able to handle these things, but they're invented by you give a group of engineers, make the best gun, you know? And so they're going to make the t- most powerful, technologically precise thing, assuming that the best of the best people who do have the training and the ability to, use these things are the only ones who are going to be using it you yeah, know yeah and so yeah like phaser setting eight is for burning holes in rock phaser setting 10 is for burning holes in concrete you know it's yeah like, you exactly know. the the yeah, um yeah. you know unless you're between 30 to 50 feet away in which case you're going to use phaser setting c with the optional uh right and the federation feels in a lot of ways that its resources are unlimited that it has enough abilities to enough people to throw out a problem that it will eventually figure it out and and i don't 
necessarily think that they're wrong. No. Here's the other thing. The Dominion is the same way. The Dominion has just as many, if not more, resources as the Federation. And so you have one group who is saying, we want to cure this disease. The other says, let's make an incurable disease. You have basically two stubborn organizations, you know, butting against each other. They're not going to make it easy. If the Federation were to design a virus, for example, it would have all of these fail-safes in it. You know, which which is, uh, you know, because the actual disease of the episode is the suffering is not. I mean, the, it's obviously terrible that the minion did this. And this is obviously yeah. like a horrible war crime. Right. And we would even maybe consider this a form of genocide. You know, oh, they, they, yeah. they're continuing to live. But in effect, their society and culture is dead. It's a slow acting biological weapon. Yeah, it takes generations to do, but which frankly makes, but again, that makes it worse than if it was just a matter of hours. Right, exactly. Because this, you know, and that's what this, I mean, and that's why the end of the episode metaphorically makes sense because the Dominion's real purpose in engineering this virus and putting it on this planet was not to kill these people. It was to A, destroy their hope, right? They have no hope for the future and they never will. Mm hmm. And also to serve as a living warning of what will happen if you divide the Dominion. They wanted to dominate them. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. And that's why the end of the episode works so well on a metaphorical level because it's it's very, very nice thematically that Bashir doesn't come up with a cure because he comes up with a vaccine that works on fetuses. Yeah. And – of course, they bring back their hope by the you know the the classic symbol mm. of hope for the future, a newborn baby. I mean, to a degree, this reminded me of uh, Children of Men a little bit. Uh, though, frankly, I feel like this was better done, actually. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that that kind of you know, we have no hope. A child is a great symbol of hope. Again, the implication is that you know the next generation is going to be born without this, and. Unfortunately, you know, everybody who is living on this planet right now will die of the quickening, will die suffering and in pain, you know, unless somebody finds a cure. And it's implied that the cure may, you know, maybe it is possible that a cure doesn't exist, you know, or that. Yeah. Or that. But there is a way around it. That's it. You know, in a few generations, you know, when when. What's her name's baby grows up and has children of his own and stuff. They are going to be like, you know, they're going to be free of this, you know, and their children will be and they will be able to begin to rebuild. Well, and I think that's really what's going to you know, be key to, you know, yeah. the, the Dominion and the Federation conflict, you know, is is right now it's in sort of a stalemate. It's in a period of Cold War in a sense. Yeah. And everyone's kind of preparing. Right. And the Federation and Starfleet have always been sort of organizations that approach a problem head on until Mm -hmm. they fix it. And I think that what you're starting to see is they're realizing that they're going to have to maybe go around a little bit and kind of find different ways to solve the problem. And the other thing, of course, is that it's going to be very uh, I think it's going to be very, very important that Starfleet and the Federation are frankly stubborn. And yeah. I think that that's the point of Bashir's story about his little bear, Kukulaka, <laughs> you know, where he's got this little teddy bear and he keeps, you know, sewing it up and sewing it up and he still has it. That's obviously a story that gives us a little bit of information about Bashir and the type of person he is yeah. because he's very tenacious. He's very stubborn. He's very loyal because he still has that bear. And I have to say, it says a lot that the way he describes a teddy bear is by saying it's a kind of soft puppet. Yeah, which she even like like I she's love even a little like what I love her in this episode because there comes you know you could see the point when she's she realizes like 
I, I, I have to stop asking questions because his answers are just going to make no sense and it's just going to annoy both of us. So let's not do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing, too. I mean, we haven't really even talked about Aquaria, but, you know, which is just shame because she's a great character, but she's also sort of a prop in the episode. I mean, she is a ca- she is a character, but she's kind of like there to serve a very particular purpose. Uh, she is a beautiful, sweet, lovely woman having a baby who is dying like that. That. Yeah. Yes. Um, we are intended to love her. Frankly, she is the little Eva character in this uh episode but she's a very well done little eva character yeah that's very true um yeah again i i think this episode is fantastic i mean i i i, I always always enjoy watching this i was really excited to get to it <laughs> yeah uh, and i think it, like i said it's one of the top 10 episodes of ds9 yeah. for me it might be one of the top 10 episodes of, of star trek for i me. i definitely will say it's one of the best and i did love the little beginning with quark um again we we you know we we I always said that DS9 does comedy a lot better, but then because TNG, it comes from a place of understanding the characters, yes. what they would do, and their and their kind of their reactions to it. Well, I mean, I have to say though, it's showing. It's the most obvious now that Worf is in both series, and the way that yeah. he, he's fucking hilarious in DS9 because they understand how to make him just. A very annoyed straight man. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Or what, wasn't it? Which was the? Was it? La, was it in to the death when you know? Oh, with the chair. sitting in his seat, you know, and just like that little look yep. he gives. It's very subtle. They know how to use him very Have subtly. A seat, Commander. <laughs> Why? Thank you. You know, yeah. and but yeah, his you know, reaction to that. And of course, Kira's line, I'm going to go to Quark's and I will have fun. <laughs> yeah, that was a good scene. And it also is a total mind fuck because that starts out the episode on a really lighthearted note. Oh, yeah. Then... You think it's just going to be a fun Quark episode or something. And it is not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, Quark's program put a virus and then it's, you know, going to be a holodeck episode where, like, everybody is Quark. That's season six. No. A Voyager. <laughs> All right, well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. Our social media username where you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is trekaboutshow. Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, where you can give us a little monetary support if you like the podcast that we do. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. Now, we have an important announcement. Oh, my God. So next week... We're going to be talking about the last two episodes of the fourth season. What? Body Parts and Broken Link. And then I wanted to bring this up because uh, it might come as a little bit of a shock if I just announced it next week. Um, we're going to take a one-week break from DS9. We are. It's time. What? I think Richard forgot about Oh, my this. God. Oh, my God. Really? So we're doing Body Parts and Broken Link next week. And then the week after, it's time for Star Trek First Contact. Oh, my God. So... We're going to be going back to TNG for a week. We're going to see the old crew, and we're going to watch perhaps the best TNG movie. Does Data swear, and it's funny. Maybe. uh, I don't remember. Because, like... uh, But, you know, that's that's that. So, there you go. And it's also a nice tie-in for our June patron special, which is coming out soon. The first Tuesday of June. What? Because we're going to be talking about the novel Federation, which is an alternate sort of establishing of the Federation story, which First Contact also kind of is in a weird way. So 
we're going to compare and contrast those as well. Okay. So be ready for that. I am. But don't. We're still. We're not done with the S9 yet. But I'm ready for it. So you're going to also have to wait a week. To I fi- can't. Well, wait. actually, you're going to have to wait two weeks to find out what happens after the season finale. So I'm being extra mean to you. I'm sorry. And I'm going to have to wait three weeks because you know, we, it's a week before we even watch the next week. Uh, I don't think that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, like, you know, we we, we have to start watching the finale of now. So it's really a month. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's really five weeks. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to see any DS9 for, like, two two months. Six more weeks of DS9. Yeah. Just, like, six more weeks of winter. Also, go back and listen to our Groundhog Day podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we'll see you next week for Body Parts and Broken Link.